0: Hello, my name is Adam Eason. Welcome to episode 47 of Hypnosis Weekly. Hypnosis friends and a very warm welcome to Hypnosis Weekly. Once again in my own highly biased opinion I think I have a whiz bang of a show lined up for you today. In a short while I'll be sharing with you an interview with my guest Igor Lederhovsky. Then I'll be looking at the hypnosis in the news stories, examining the media where hypnosis is featured, offering up some personal subjective commentary on the ways hypnosis is portrayed in the media and some uh, comment upon the content of those stories. We then return with our professional discussion with my guest Igor Lederhofsky. We shall be exploring his incredibly successful conversational hypnosis program. We'll round things off with this week's hypnosis evidence-based factoid before I bid you farewell for another week. As I say at the beginning of every Hypnosis Weekly episode, this podcast is something that I want to encompass a feeling of embracing diversity, celebrating the field of hypnosis and encouraging friendly, professional, enjoyable discussion and debate, as well as doing its best to inform and educate I do not share the same stances. most of our guests and at times have major differences in approach and leaning, but all are incredibly lovely people who I'd happily talk with until late in the pub, and all of whom, following their time here on Hypnosis Weekly, I have a great deal of respect for. If you have questions, queries, thoughts or feedback, do get in touch via the Hypnosis Weekly website. All the references made in the discussions, along with related links, are posted at each episode on the website www.hypnosis-weekly.com. That's just hypnosisweekly with a hyphen in the middle dot com. You can add your thoughts, comments, make any suggestions there too. Please do share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter and anywhere else to help us reach more of the hypnosis community. It's greatly appreciated. So first of all today is this week's interview. It's with great pleasure that I welcome Igor Lederhovski to Hypnosis Weekly, Igor and I sat in a classroom or two together when we were starting out in these fields, long before our voices has broken. It was a lovely opportunity for me to to get to speak to him once again um, after so many years. And uh, you know, him and I got to reflect upon how long we'd both been working in the hypnotherapy field and ways in which we've dedicated much of our lives to it. We have, of course, gone in very different directions at times. However, it's really enjoyable to me to feel a little bit like we'd gone full circle and found each other again. Many people will have first got to know Igor perhaps through his conversational hypnosis program which him and I discuss later in today's show. I think the dominance of that program may well obscure the fact that Igor is incredibly erudite, well read and has a depth of knowledge that he draws upon that's just really enjoyable to be around. I found it very stimulating, very motivating. Uh, Him and I were recently working on a project together and I continued to sit up and smile throughout it thanks to his ongoing contributions. He's an incredibly lovely, generous, charming chap and we're going to discuss a wide range of stuff. So for now, get comfy my friends, turn up the volume, sip on your tea. Enjoy this week's interview. so as I've just been discussing I'm delighted to welcome to Hypnosis Weekly Igor Lederhovski. Igor welcome to
1: Hypnosis Weekly. Well thank you Adam it's a wonderful to be here and it's a a real pleasure to be speaking with you again.
0: Yeah yeah so let's get straight into it tell us a little bit about yourself first of all can you tell us about about your background how you got into this field sure and, and and how you arrived at where you are now.
1: Sure. So the, 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 the route, as for many hypnotists, was a bit uh, twisty in the sense that uh, as, a, as a child, when I was young, as a teenager, I um, was fascinated by the powers of the mind. You know, I, I, I read all kinds of books. And back then in the 80s, I was living in London, and you couldn't find anything on hypnosis. And most of the stuff that was, you know, on power of the minds were some strange psychic phenomena and whatnot. Mm. So, you know, I read about stuff, but I didn't really do much with it. And then I remember when I went to university... Uh, the same year, we had a big family reunion and some um, uh, family members there from the u s they mentioned a self improvement method based on self hypnosis and how it helped them oh. and, I, and i was I was fascinated, so i thought i 've got to look this thing up and uh, try it out, which of course I did, and I really enjoyed it i i i really the bug bit me i, I enjoyed the self hypnosis it helped me with my studies a lot um, helped me some some personal stuff, not some of the other stuff, but you know it was just the start of my journey. Um, so I, I was, I was fascinated throughout my student years with it and did lots of little experiments and had fun with it. But then because I was studying law, I became a lawyer and, and actually the self-hypnosis helped me get a uh, uh, job at a, a very prestigious law firm as well, which I was delighted by. Yeah. Um, and at that point I kind of drew a line in the sand and I thought I was going to be a lawyer for the rest of my days. Uh, and then about a year in, I was working incredibly hard. This is a place where you're working till 10 o'clock at night every day, working until 4am, you know, once or twice a week was not unusual. Every other weekend I'd be at work. So slowly but surely over the the years, um, my entire life was becoming law. I saw all my old friends were starting to fall away because they're doing their own things. I couldn't go out. I wasn't going, I was was just law surrounded by it all. And at that point I thought, I've got to do something different, something that has nothing to do with this field, because I'm going crazy. <laughs> and that's when I, when I, when I went back to what did I enjoy doing before? And The two things I really enjoyed were martial arts and uh, hypnosis. So I thought of two, hypnosis is completely off the charts, different. So I rolled, enrolled in a like a year-long school, one of these weekend, uh, a month course things. And then for the next two years, I spent every spare moment I had, every weekend I had spare, every piece of holiday I had, I, I, I booked onto some kind of hypnosis training um, because I was, I was hooked by it, and partly out of desperation, of course, partly because it was just fascinating. Yeah, And after about uh, two years of this, maybe two and a half years of this journey, I finally decided that uh, this is it. I'm, I'm really enjoying myself for a tiny fraction of the year when I'm actually not doing law and the rest of the time I'm just looking forward to my next holiday which is not really a holiday I'm actually sitting down in school to learn stuff and I figured you know the writing's on the wall here I'm I'm, I'm, I'm I might as well do what I love for a living rather than you know make a living doing something that I find less than than uh satisfying right yeah and, and that's sort of where the whole ball the, the the whole momentum started from that point
0: yeah 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 and and um, um, we're going to talk a little bit, of, a little bit later on about some, s- s- some more specifics about some, some mm. of your own loves and some of the, the things that you've specialized in and some of the things mm-hmm. that have really captured the imagination of the hypnosis field. um, okay. um, um Tell us, tell us a little bit then about about h- how you explain hypnosis. How you, how do you sure. d- define hypnosis? And and and, and tell us hey. a little bit about how you arrived at that definition. I know it's a bit sure. of a contentious discussion and debate. Of
1: course, of course. No, I'm. I'm so so uh, you, uh, it sounds like you asked me the same question twice, but actually, I think you've asked me two different questions, right? Yeah. How I define hypnosis and how I explain hypnosis, I think are two different things. Yeah, yeah. And the reason for that is, is I'm a pragmatist. I want stuff that works. And so when I explain hypnosis, the way I come to it is I give a simple formula, the ABS formula, which I'll break down in a second. But when it comes to defining hypnosis, that's a lot more tricky to do. And, and actually, rather than give you one definition, I'll give you some of the ones that really resonate with me, if you like, and, and why. And, and here's the reason I say this because uh, like yourself, Adam, I have no idea how to really define hypnosis. I don't think anyone really does. I don't know what it. I don't know that it is a thing per se, right? Mm. However, the the collection of experiences we call hypnosis does have a theme running through it, and and kind of like you know how firemen uh, will um, anthropomorphize a fire. They'll say mm. you've got to starve the fire, don't feed the fire. The fire is getting angry, or it's quieting down. Fire is just a chemical reaction. It hasn't got a consciousness. But by giving it a metaphor, it's a lot easier for the fireman to understand a complex combustion mechanism without having to do all these crazy calculations. Mm. And this is the way I looked at um, the formula. I want to have a, a, a series of steps that when I have those things in place, the chances of me being able to uh, create the effects that I would associate with hypnosis will be very highly likely to exist. And when I don't have it there, then chances are I'm unlikely to have it again. And the, this is all probability stuff, right? Yeah. So and I apologize for being long-winded about this. It's just a, No, no, uh,
0: no, not at all. I this is I love hearing this.
1: Oh, good, good. Um so so the ABS formula is very simple. It's step one is absorb attention, bypass the critical factor and then stimulate the unconscious, right? Mm. Now, there may be some areas of contention around that does the unconscious even exist and so on. Again, that's we could spend an hour talking about that rabbit hole if you wanted to. And I'll happily do that, by the way. Um, but but here's how, here's how I look at it. First of all, we need some kind of attentional element. Why? Because attention, I think, is, is the only thing that's really real for us, right? Our, our senses are only real when there's some mechanism paying attention to it, right? Yeah. Um, when it comes to the mind as well, you know, there's an old uh, principle that I really like. Where attention goes, energy flows. And, and I don't mean that necessarily in some kind of metaphysical sense. But if you just look at an fMRI, when someone is doing maths, blood flows to certain areas, neurons activate in certain areas, uh, glucose is being used up in certain areas. So mental energy is being expended in those areas. And it looks very different than when they are singing a song or reading a book. And so, again, using this, uh, this metaphor of energy, shall we say, um, without attention, mental energy is not being engaged, and when there's no mental energy being engaged, well, you've got nothing, because mm. hypnosis doesn't exist in a vacuum. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, absolutely, it does. So then the second stage, the bypassing the critical factor. Now, this is, this is um, again, is, does the critical factor really exist? It kind of does, and it kind of doesn't kind of thing. Um, so there's the, the two ways to look at this idea of a critical factor. It's, it's one way, the simple, simple way, it's the "all no" response. It's the part of the mind that says, "No, I'm not interested," without really giving it a a decent uh, test. And, and it's a very useful part because otherwise we'd be going nuts uh, trying to figure out how the world works. Because you have to relearn everything every time you come to a door. You got to question yourself: Is this the same door? Does it work the same way? Has has the have the laws of physics changed? Now this door uh, will no longer operate the way it used to operate. You know, kind of like in a dream. And, and that's very labor intensive. So mm. it's useful to have shortcuts, right? Yeah. And some of these shortcuts go a bit haywire. You know, people who, when you say it's a sunny day, they'll go, oh, it's going to rain in a minute. So they automatically have to reject ideas, right? Mm. Other people are much more open to ideas. Um, where if you say, you know, um, you say something that they, they may not f- particularly agree with, but they'll still try and find a reason to agree with some aspect of it. That acceptance or rejection of idea, I think, is crucial because if mental energy is being engaged, it's got to be engaged for something. And if they're blocking it, well, then you're no longer engaging in some sense, right? And, And I think the big place where this really comes in, and this is the bigger answer to the critical factor, is when people are stuck in their ways. When they think something has to be real in this way, and by doing so, they basically... Uh, I, I I'm sure you are, actually. Uh, uh, hopefully, your, your listeners are familiar with the idea of a premature cognitive commitment. Yeah. Do you want me to just give a quick example of that? Just to clarify it? So, so this is how I first came across it. Uh, I, I didn't, you can do this experiment if you want. I, I didn't myself just because it was a little cruel, I thought. Um, you get a jar and you trap some flies in it, put a bit of water and sugar at the bottom so they don't die. And then you cover the, glass, the, the, the jar with some cling film, some plastic wrap, and poke some holes in so that they can breathe, but they're small enough that they can't get out. Now, what you should see happening is after a while, these flies will you know, crawl around the jar and try and get out, and they can't. And after a while, they they stop trying. Uh, they, they have decided this is now the new extent of how the world is. And at that point, if you remove the film uh, from the top, the, the, the lid that you put on there, the plastic wrap, The flies are now technically able to leave. Conditions have changed. The world is now different. But as far as the flies are concerned, it's still the same world. And even though they're now free to go at any time they want, they'll keep buzzing around inside the jar. Mm. So they made a commitment, a cognitive commitment. They've decided this is how big the world is, and there's no point wasting energy doing something else. Mm. And I, I think for me, that's a much more accurate description of the critical factor When someone's made a premature cognitive commitment, they've decided this is the world is. Um, And and, and it may actually have been true at one stage. You know, when you're five years old, you have a lot more limitations than when you're 15 or 50, right? Yes. Yes. And so when conditions change, they're still living the five-year-old life. You know, they're like the elephant who is, you know, I don't know, 20 tons or however, however heavy an elephant gets, who gets tied to a... A, uh, a tiny little branch of something with a piece of string and he, he feels like he can't leave he can't move because when he was a little baby elephant they chained him to a tree and he tried to get away and couldn't and so he gave up it's a kind of a learned helplessness mm. I think it's a related concept mm. so these are all the things that stop us from activating and experiencing everything that hypnosis has to offer for us and so somehow we've got to, we've got to damp that mechanism down to make the impossible possible again, does that kind of make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Now, the, the final part, stimulating the unconscious, and again, we could have a, a whole discussion around does the unconscious even exist? And again, I don't think it's a it's a, a useful argument for a pragmatist. I think it's a very useful argument for theorists and for people who want to to get closer to the nub of something. But if you pretend that the unconscious mind exists, and and proceed from that point. I think it's a pretty useful metaphor, if nothing else, right? Sure. And and uh, at this point, you know, everything we've done up to this point—the A, B, and the B part—it's all about gathering potential, making things possible. But now you've got to actualize it. Now it's got to, this energy's got to go somewhere and do something with it, right? Mm. It's like a, a garden hose. Uh, You need the hose, of course. You have to have it unblocked because otherwise water won't flow. You've got to have water because otherwise you have an empty hose, right? So you've got your attention and the critical factor bypassed. But now the hose has got to point somewhere to do something. If you just let the hose flop around the ground and just randomly sprinkle around, well, you know, it can do it, but it's wasted energy. It's wasted water. Whereas if you direct it towards something – now you can decide what to water, what's going to grow. Are you going to use it to wash your car? Are you going to grow the flower beds? Are you going to um, wash the dirt off the the street in front of you? What task is this water su- supposed to do? Uh, just having a hose and, and, and water running through it won't get those jobs done. You've got to direct it at something. And that's mm-hmm. what the the final part of the equation is for me. Uh, and, and the reason I call it just stimulate the unconscious is because it's, it's – um, it's easier to get some momentum in any direction and then reshape it to what you want, than to go straight for what you want uh, and maybe have to climb a, a huge hill on the way. Uh, does that kind of make sense to you?
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I'm yeah. um, um, fascinating stuff. Now, y- you and I have spent quite a few hours in conversation, okay. in deep. Hypnosis-related conversation in recent weeks, and so I'm really excited about asking you this next question. Okay, Uh, uh, tell me, tell me, who are your major influences in this field, and 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 what 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 are the books, the authors that have taught you most, teachers that have been the most influential upon you? Perhaps you could explain a little bit of
1: the reasons why. Sure. So, so I think hands down, one of the biggest influence in me was the work of Milton Erickson. I think he was just a wonderful man. I love his. His uh, use of language—I uh, guess, as a lawyer, especially—I had a particularly uh, strong affinity to the uh, use of language. Mm. And what I really liked is, is, is he—he he, uh, was very, he was very, very pragmatic. But at the same time, there was a little bit of—he uh, was a bit of a showman, to be fair, right? Mm. And his case histories uh, look like some kind of uh, a. a uh, do you remember the, the the movie, The Karate Kid, the original one, way back when? Yeah. Right. With the annoying Russo kid and whatever. D- but Daniel the, uh, Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and I, I remember the um, Mr. Miyagi character, who I think was just a phenomenal character. And especially when the whole wax on, wax off thing got explained uh, halfway through the movie. Yeah. I thought, this is, this is genius. He's, he's tricking people, but in a good way. He's tricking people to succeed, right? Yeah. And then when I started reading Erickson's work, that's exactly what I saw again. He's tricking people to succeed so that, you know, when, when they were convinced that they couldn't do something, by the, time, by the time they were willing to express it, they'd already succeeded five times over. And I thought that was an ingenious way of working. You don't have to constantly be butting your head against resistance and things like that. Um, So I was fascinated by him, and I I read everything I could. I tried to find every uh, person that had trained with him directly that I could uh, get access to and and train with them also. And if I couldn't do it directly, I would do it indirectly through videotapes and so on. Mm. Um, And in that process, I came across another hypnotist, who is still alive, who is, I think, a a hidden gem. And everyone who hasn't checked him out yet, I would strongly recommend you do. And his name is John Overdove. He is fen- f- phenomenal. He's a, I think he's a great innovator, a great, uh, uh, he's a great personal round. And, and there's the, the two reasons that really drew me to him, or maybe two or three reasons, right? The, the first one is he has an immense amount of skill. Again, the whole language thing that we, I talked about that I admired about Ericsson, this guy has got that in bucket loads, uh, and he's developed it in, in a different direction again. Um, which I found fascinating. And, and uh, especially my journey to conversation hypnosis, these things were crucial. Uh, it was crucial to have these waypoints along the way to kind of point at the direction that I was trying to get in. Mm. Uh, so just purely on the skill side, uh, he was fantastic. Uh, as part of that skill, there are some great... Uh, hypnotists out there with again great language skills and so on. And uh, the reason I won't necessarily name them by name right now is because I'm about to criticize them and I don't like doing that in public. Um but they they try to over-mystify what they're doing, and so no one gets the quote unquote inside secrets, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't like that. I mean, what's the point of mystifying this thing just so you can preserve your prestige? I don't know, I don't get that part, right? Mm. I, I think there's enough, there's enough uh difficulties and 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 stuff to mine within what we do know about hypnosis that we don't need to make uh, put artificial barriers in place mm. right um and and, and overdo isn't like that he's totally open he's totally this is what i do what you see is what you get uh, you ask him a question he will give you an upfront answer including the i don't know never thought of it like that right yeah and and i really admire that the third bit i admire about him is um You've been around for a while. You've seen the hypnosis community. There are some Im- incredibly skilled hypnotists, some not so skilled ones too. Uh, and unfortunately, there's also a tendency in many people to have overblown egos. We, we believe our hype more than we really should, yeah. right? And and uh, uh, because I've seen a lot of different hypnotists, and I've learned from a lot of them, and, and, I, and I like a lot of them, um, it, but then I still notice there's a disparity between you know, who they pretended to be and who they really were. Or or maybe it's a better way of putting it is, uh, let's put it this way. Um, Everyone talks a good game, which is fair enough, right? But when I ask myself the magic question, if I had to switch roles, if I had to trade my life for your life, would I want to do that, right? And there's very, very, very few people where I'd say, no, actually, I'd be okay with switching roles. Not, Not necessarily that I want to switch roles, but if I was forced to take someone else's life on, then that would be a very nice life to take on, right? Yeah. For a lot of people, that isn't the case. Uh, a lot of hypnotists, even, that isn't the case. Mm. And and so I think there's got to be an element of congruity between what they practice and what they preach. And, and this is one another reason I really like uh, John Overdurf and actually Milton Erickson as well. They, they, Erickson was a little bit more mystical, so he, I think, obscured things a little bit more because... I don't think he really knew what he was doing himself. Yeah. Then, because he was trying to obscure it, uh, but he definitely lived by his own tenets, very, very clearly, and he was definitely very, very skilled too. Does that yeah. make
0: sense? Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's a. That, that, I, I really enjoyed listening to you um, just just explaining there that notion of. Would I take on that person's life? Because it, it, yeah. it had me thinking. Then <laughs> it, it had me yeah. thinking about the people that I herald, about the people that I hold yeah. highly. And I think, you know, w- w- would I would I would I step into their shoes? Um, yeah, um, fascinating.
1: Yeah, yeah. And you know, and, and and even if the answer is no, that's okay. You can still learn from those people. And I can, I've got a lot of value from people whose whose life I'd rather not take on. Uh, but but you know, at but least the congruence. I, yes, exactly. And, and the main thing is. Uh, it helps me to to separate out uh, the, the 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 BS from the values, the the idiosyncrasies. Well, you've got to do it this way because this way it works. It's like, well, really, is that true, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, and if thinking the way that you're thinking has got you the life that you have, and I don't want that life, then I've got to be very careful and very picky about which of your beliefs or your thought patterns I choose to take on for myself, because they lead. I can see where they lead, right? Yeah. Um, And there's one hypnotist who's quite famous who has a lot of, um, who who likes to take on or used to like to take on at least uh, apprentices, like personal, private project students type thing, right? And and the thing that really got me is every one of his apprentices looks like a carbon copy of him, right? Including the haircut and the the dress mannerisms and all the other sort of stuff. And I thought, surely this is not the right thing to make a carbon copy. Surely what we're trying to do is uh, help people to express themselves and, and so absolutely. I'm a little bit wary of that. And That test helps me to navigate those waters a little bit. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I'm, I'm, have, have there been a couple
0: of standout texts
1: along the yes. way, Igor? Absolutely, absolutely. So the the first one that uh, the first one that really blew me away was uh, Grinder and Bandler's original transformation book. There's a mm. number of other books that have that same title now, including one by Richard Bandler on his own. I don't mean any of those. I mean, the original text from the 1960s, uh, 70s, rather. Um, and, and it's now kind of out of print and you can buy, you know, secondhand copies, whatever it is. Yeah. And, and the reason I really like that is when I first uh, read that, uh, it's a transcript of, a, a com- of different live trainings that they, that they ran. It struck me the number of things. Number one, the use of language in that is beautiful. Yes. Absolutely beautiful. And I think that's Grindr mostly there. Number two... Um, they don't teach by theory, they teach by experience. And I think that is absolutely fundamental. In other words, here's an idea. Let's do a couple of experiments. Now, what can we learn from those experiments? I think that is a fundamentally important way of of the learning experience should go, Uh, which unfortunately is not the way I've experienced a lot of hypnosis trainings, which are much more, here's the theory, uh, this is what you should do, here are the steps, learn these steps, or worse still, here's a script, read it. right? Mm. Um, and, and, And I think we learn much more from... Uh, our own experiences and working out and, and having a sense of what do these experiences mean, and then then basically just copy exactly this and I'll tell you what it means. And that's basically you know replicating the very kind of school learning that very few people actually uh, I think enjoyed uh, doing. Uh, and so that 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 double combo I thought was really really. Um, Inspiring to me, right? Mm. It really brought the essence of Ericksonian hypnosis alive to me. I thought, so that was a big one. Um, a, a simple book called *The Encyclopedia of Stage Hypnosis* uh, by Ormond McGill. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm not a stage hypnotist. I really don't have much interest in stage hypnosis, but it was the actually probably the first actual hypnosis book that I got. I got in a couple of before that, which were, you know. More confusing than enlightening, and that one was the one which is simple, practical, straightforward. This is what it is. This is how you do it. Lots of ideas, very generous. And I thought, yeah, that was that was a a good simple primer. Yeah. Um, So I'm just trying to come up some other really. Can
0: I uh, just say that has got some of the best ever photographs in it, um, and 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 illustrations, some things that will just keep you smiling while you're reading.
1: Yeah, and it has a really nice old world charm to it. It really does.
0: Absolutely. That's that, that, that precisely.
1: Yeah, and I, and I like that. And I, think, and I think anything that you read around the topic, especially if it's your first few books, should have an inspirational quotient to it, right? Yeah. If your first book is, you know, an academic text like Weizenhoff, um, Andre Weizenhoff, I think it was, wrote this big tome on hypnosis, I've got the title yeah. right now. It's an excellent book. <clears throat> but if that was the first book I had ever read on hypnosis, I would just be lost in academies, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, another one, which I think is an excellent book, is the Corey Hammond, the uh, Handbook of Suggestions and Metaphors. Yeah. I think it's called. It's a beautiful. It's not a book to read. It's more of a, a reference thing you dip into. Yeah. And again, great ideas, lots of food for thought. Um, but again, a lot of academies involved in that. And so, if yeah, that had been the first book I would have got a hold of in hypnosis, inspiration value would have been zero. Once yeah. you had some skills, though, then it's actually very inspiring because it's 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 um great food for thought to kind of stimulate your own ideas yeah. and that, that, that I do like. Yeah.
0: I say um, to lots of, lots of our students, for example, I say to them, here's, here's the core textbook for this particular uh, uh, yeah. course. Um, yeah. However, d- don't go and start reading it. D- d- don't start reading it until you've been on the course, until... start drawing and and, and suggesting what sections to read at what times because you know you start reading it today and first of all it's going to be perhaps a little bit too complex and it might terrify you and you might think what on earth have I what on earth have I gotten myself
1: into here right the textbook should be answering questions for you and if you have got no questions to answer then don't read the damn book, yeah, right? It's not, yeah. it's not, you're not ready for it yet. However, some, some, the, the books I mentioned, the first two at least, the, the reason they're so wonderful is because you don't need any experience. You can just kind of see it evolving, right? Yeah. And I think some of the Ericksonian books are are really useful for that too, like My Voice Will Go With You, which is a collection of his stories, beautiful yeah. stories, fantastic stories. Um, so, so I'd say in some ways it's anything that inspires you to enjoy hypnosis, yeah. right? Yeah, uh, I remember before I even got into hypnosis properly, this is m- the mid-stage when I was still a lawyer. I'm sure you've come across as the Joseph Murphy book, The Power of Your Subconscious Mind. Yeah, absolutely. It's a classic, right? And and that I found riveting, not because I, th- I don't think it's particularly good now, but you see it's just the inspirational quality that was worthwhile. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a question of where you are on your journey. Do you want a more complex gritty book that uh, gets you thinking or do you want an inspirational book that gets you to love the subject in the first place yeah. and and the two are sadly not always the same right yeah
0: yeah yeah absolutely absolutely mm. so so you know throughout the years that you've been working within this field um mm-hmm. the amount of people you know I know you've been prolific with the amount of people that you've encountered taught mm-hmm. worked with Mm-hmm. Tell us throughout that experience. What, what's been one of the one of the more impressive applications of hypnosis that you've directly witnessed, Eagle?
1: Oh, wow! There's so, there's so many interesting things, and you know, I'm so glad you're asking this question because um, it, it, it presupposes a really important thing, which is I, I believe um, my company was originally called Street Hypnosis. It's now a Hypnosis Training Academy. But the reason for Street Hypnosis wasn't that you go up into bars and do the current version of street hypnosis with sticking hands to table and stuff like that, yeah. although I did a little bit of that, of course. The reason I call it street hypnosis is because I thought, hypnosis is such an important tool, you should fit everywhere, in the streets, in, the, in, in an airplane, in this classroom, at home, with your kids, uh, in business. It fits everywhere, yeah. right? So I get excited, really excited, when people start using it in novel fields. So I'll give you a couple of really interesting ones that yeah. I came across Uh, One of my students, he is a firearms instructor in the U.S., and he uses uh, hypnotic principles when he teaches people so that when they stand on the range, this is someone who's never ever even touched a handgun in their life before.
0: Right.
1: He can have them stand on the range, and within five to ten minutes of being in the range for the first time in their life, having touched a handgun for the first time in their life, he has them shooting one whole group. So basically means they can ent- empty an entire magazine, so 14, 15 rounds, through the exact same hole on the target. It's it's mind-blowing, wow. right? And uh, of course, it, 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 it's a unstable skill in the sense that with his coaching, they'll get it, and then he'll move on to the next student, and then they'll lose it again, yeah. and he'll come back and they'll <laughs> get it again. So so you know, it needs a little bit of practice to stabilize. But the point is, from nothing to that, that is an incredible achievement, absolutely oh, incredible yeah. achievement, right? Uh, and those are the things that really excite me uh, and I find really interesting. Um, let's have a think of some other interesting applications. There's a guy I recently talked to in, um, in Thailand who is working with uh, fighters, uh, Thai box mostly, mm. uh, but some MMA fighters as well. And, again, the reason I find this approach really interesting is because it, it's not the typical thing you people might think, you know, make them more aggressive and, and, and hard. No, no, it's actually quite the opposite. It's all about, um, it actually looks more like real therapy, right? Like, what are your fears? What are your concerns? Where are you tripping yourself up? And when you're your best version of you, you'll also be the best version of you in the ring, so to speak. Yes. Um, so I really enjoyed uh, uh, that application. Is yeah. this the kind of thing you're looking for? Yeah, is absolutely, a, absolutely. I uh, think,
0: you know, I'm... I'm I'm still reeling from the uh, uh, sh- shots. Sh- the, the, the shots going through the same hole. Incredible yeah. stuff. Incredible stuff. Really. Um, I'm, I'm, tell me, Igor, if you mm. could go back mm. to, to when you when when you started out as yeah. a, as a hypnotherapist, a hypnosis yeah. professional, knowing the stuff that you know now, yeah. is there anything you'd do differently? And if so, oh if so, what? And, and is there any advice that the person you are today? Would give that younger you, and and would you Obviously. just extend that advice to our listeners?
1: Oh man, of life! I would. There's so many things. <laughs> I would. I would sit down and say, "Look, give me a week, because you need and take notes, right?" <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so, of course, the first thing I would, I would, I would, um, I would talk about. I'd, I'd help guide my journey a bit better. It was a little erratic at first because I didn't know who to turn to for. Uh, uh, ideas and, and skills and so on. So I probably would save myself a ton of uh, cash and, and time mm. by avoiding right. the bad drawing training. But that's something a little bigger than the question I guess would ask for. The, the, the big things I would say was that number one, right? Um, learn business skills, practice sk- building skills. Um, I was, like most hypnotists, obsessed with um, build it and they would come. If I'm just a good enough hypnotist, I'll mm. have people you know, lining up on the streets hoping and begging to take, uh, give me their business, uh, and I would be able to cherry-pick the best ones of them because I was so good, right? Yeah. They, that, that level of arrogance didn't last very long. <laughs> um, and and, and it, it, I call it professional skills, right? If we want to be professionals, we need to be true professionals. And professionals aren't just what you do when you're helping a client solve a problem. A professional is a professional all around, and this is where my my legal training was very useful because, you know, you can get disbarred as a lawyer for something you do in the privacy of your own home if it brings the profession to disrepute, right? Um, And I think that's a good attitude to take as a hypnotist. You know, if you're running a professional practice, how do you market? How do you speak to people without – how do you navigate the the fine line between over-promising – and uh, something like, I can cure that, which is, you know, a little bit, it's uh, sounding a bit sketchier now, yes. right? And, and under-promising was like, oh, I don't know, maybe that's, you know, it's really careful, you might be messed up for the rest of your life, I'll see what I can do, but I'm not making any promises, yeah. which of course is giving the nocebo expectation. Yeah. How, how do you navigate the two? And, and I don't think a lot of um, hypnotists can do that very well, uh, because uh, I'll give a quick story of this, right? Please when I first started... I I, I told, of course, all my friends what I did. And and then uh, thinking that I was being very clever, I badgered them until they were sick to the back teeth Mm -hmm. on how good hypnosis is for everything under the sun. Mm -hmm. And every time they saw me, I could almost see their their uh, eyes glazing over and and then thinking, oh, here we go again, right? Mm -hmm. So I I, I didn't really do a good job of those conversations. And then one day um, it dawned on me that when these people, these people have problems like everyone else, you know, they, they, whether it's uh, weight loss or smoking, let's say smoking is a nice simple one, right? Mm. So it dawned on me one day that when someone is a smoker and he wants to quit and he's in my friend's social circle, so he knows I'm hypnotist, mm. but he's not asking for my help, what he's really saying is that I have messed up my conversation with him so badly that he'd rather risk dying of cancer then come and work with me to stop smoking. Mm. And that's a, that was a big wake-up call for me. That was me suddenly realizing, what did I do wrong? And, mm. and there's a lot of things, by the way. I was pushy, I was salesy, I was sleazy. Basically, everything you hate about, um, everything people typically hate about bad salespeople, that's the thing that makes an impression on us. And I replicated it, right? Mm. And, and, and that, was a, that was a big wake-up call. And and um, so so learning what good business looks like. And and don't be afraid of the word business, right? Just because, you know, you may hate Big Pharma or you may hate uh, Mac corporations that ruin the world, that, that's, that's maybe an example of bad business, p- business that isn't serving its communities properly, that is making business at any expense, right? Mm. Real business is about offering value. It's about sharing something. And if you can't inspire people to see the value of what you have, then either uh, check on whether or not what you have really is valuable or not to them, right? Yeah. Uh, or check on your process of communication. Uh, because, you know, if you were anything like me, then you may actually be turning people off from the very life-saving thing that, that they need because you, you haven't taken the chance or the time to learn how to communicate your ideas in an inspirational way rather than in a, in a destructive sort of way. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely it does. So that's a huge, huge thing I would, I would give myself. Yeah. Um, and the next thing I would say is uh, go first a lot sooner. Do your own mind training. Self-hypnosis, meditation, uh, I really don't care what kind of mind training it is, but whatever you believe about hypnosis, why not should your clients uh, believe in your ability to help them make powerful changes in their life? If, if, you haven't, if you can't speak from the courage of your own convictions, from your own experiences, right? Yeah. Um, and, and I have met hypnotists along the road who almost proudly tell me that that they won't let anyone hypnotize them. I think that is insane, mm. right? So so Absolutely. those are, I think would be two really big things. Do a daily practice of self-hypnosis or, or meditation of some sort. Build your own mind, right? If nothing else, think happy thoughts for 20 minutes a day. Uh, within great intensity and i think that'll be a form of hypnosis by itself right yeah um and, and once you see it working on you well then 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 you can congruently stand in front of the world and say this stuff has changed my life and i'm sure it'll help you too yeah. does that make sense yeah
0: Th- very much so very much so um Tell me then, what what are your thoughts about... You know, we we sort of touched upon this a few times, you and I, um, in in some discussions that we had recently. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts about evidence-based approaches to
1: hypnotherapy? Right. Uh, I think those are, first of all, wonderful. If you've got evidence that it works, I'm a pragmatist. Why wouldn't I like evidence, right? Yeah. Um, I I take a slightly broader view, however, because... the, the evidence appro- way approach, I think, is excellent. It's an, uh, the, uh, the, the academic current approach, and it's about incrementally testing every little nuance of the parameters so you know exactly what bits are working, what bits are, are, are uh, more idiosyncrasies that are not necessary, right? Yeah. So I think the evidence-based approach is definitely worth paying attention to, and, and if you're not paying attention to it, if you're just ignoring it, I think it's a mistake, right? Mm. However, I don't think you should limit yourself to the evidence-based approach either because there's a lot of things that are working, clearly working, that the evidence uh, system hasn't caught up to yet. And I'll give an example of what I mean by this, yeah. right? You may have noticed there's a, a, a recent craze about mindfulness in the therapeutic community in general. In fact, yes. some people are doing mindful hypnosis now, which I think is hysterical, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so so uh, turn the clock back, say 10, 15 years. Uh, turn the clock back 100 years, right? Mindfulness has been pretty much the same thing for the last, I don't know, two and a half thousand years. Is that when the Buddha was around? Three thousand years maybe, mm. right? So, so the, the, the technology has been around for a long, long time. But it was dismissed uh, in, uh, in a large part by academics or ignored, shall we say. And even those academics who started looking at it back in the I think 40s, 50s and 60s, like um, uh, is it Benson and Jacobson, the progressive yeah. relaxation people, right? Yeah. They, they, they queued into the wrong part of it. They thought the relaxation is the only thing that's going on there. And, of course, relaxation has absolutely got uh, some clinical medical benefits. But this whole idea of neuroplasticity uh, was not only not known of uh, back in, in, in the 20th century. I would say we're 21st century now, right? Mm. Um, but it was actually considered wrong. If you suggested that you could change the brain, you'd be laughed at by academics, Right. And they had good reason in their experiments. In fact, it, the experiments that showed, uh, indicated neuroplasticity wouldn't get published then. So there's some biases going there too. Mm. So I think paying attention, uh, this, this is how I look at it, right? Uh, uh, academics and the evidence-based approach can tell you what does work. Absolutely this works because we have proof for it, right? Mm. What they can't tell you categorically is what's impossible. All they can say is we don't know if that's possible yet, or we don't know of any way of making that possible right now, right? Mm. And, and so um, that's the that's the fine line I would recommend uh, people look at, which is don't don't get trapped in the idea that just because you have no academic evidence for it yet, does not mean it's impossible. It means we haven't caught up to that point yet, right? Yeah. And um, I, I, one of one of my favorite examples is lucid dreaming. Have you heard of lucid dreaming, Adam? Absolutely. Right. So Stephen LaBerge is a researcher who popularized the idea of lucid dreaming, the idea that you can control your own dreams whilst you're dreaming and have wonderful adventures, right? Mm. The thing is, all of the sleep research of his day said, that's impossible. No one's ever done it, so it's impossible. Now, he knew it was possible because he used to do it as a kid. He used to do like serial dreaming, where it would, like, a, like a serial TV show. He'd leave it in a cliffhanger because he had to go to school now. And then that day at school, he'd be wondering about how is this dream going to end. And then at nighttime... He'd, he'd start the dream again off where he left it off last time. It was a skill he developed. <clears throat> so because he knew it, he knew he could research it. And once he could research it and could figure out a way of proving it was possible, it exploded into a wonderful field that I think is a, wonder, I think it's a t- tremendous field to look at. Right. So, so evidence-based approach, I think, very, very useful. But let's not get limited by it because there are things that can be done that we can't explain yet through the evidence yet. Just don't get, On the flip side of that, of course, is don't get stuck on the idea of why it's working. Just like mesmerism, the explanation may have been incorrect, but the underlying technology still worked. Sure. Does that kind of make
0: yeah. sense? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things that, you know, it's, it's, it's very central to, to my own work these days mm. to, have, to have an evidence-based leaning. Yet, yet one of the things that I'm really keen to impress upon people is that, when you're looking at any kind of evidence based information or material for example, you mm-hmm. also you, you know you want to examine the provenance of that information you know where yes. did it come from what were the motivations behind it yes, what was the yes, yes. what was the methodology being employed what's the timeliness of this you know and what was mm. what was the point behind it and so on mm. so you know i i, I i'm I, I'm there with you with regards to um um with, with regards to making sure that we have a balanced perspective with regards yeah. to it as well absolutely yeah absolutely. Um, absolutely. Igor, we're going to talk in a bit more depth about about one of your favoured and and pioneering approaches. Um, But for now, where can people go to learn more about you, your work, your approach to hypnosis, the training you offer, and so on?
1: So so the easiest place is come to www.hypnosistrainingacademy.com. There's lots of articles on there. There's lots of stuff. You'll see a lot of our products and some of our seminars that are coming up. That's our main sort of site. Uh, And if you want our flagship course, the one that... um, launched us in the, uh, onto the map of the hypnosis world. Um, that's basically conversational-hypnosis.com. Uh, but you should be able to find a link to that on hypnosistrainingacademy.com too.
0: Yeah, yeah, and um, there will be permanent links to to those websites over at this episode uh, um, um, edition, this episode's page on the Hypnosis Weekly website. Um, um, for now, Igor, thank mm-hmm. you. Thank you, Adam. We will be back with Igor Ledojski in just a few minutes' time. I really enjoyed this week's interview with Igor. As I said, we'll be back with him for our professional discussion shortly. On to this week's hypnosis in the news then. I'm, I'm citing a couple of success stories that really stood out for me this week, and um, as well as one story that may also amuse some of you. Our first story is entitled Antibiotics Almost Killed Me but Hypnotherapy is Helping My Pain. And this is about a Lancashire mum, Jo Older, who almost died after taking antibiotics, um, which triggered off a bit of a health crisis. And uh, she lives with uh, chronic pain as a result of her ordeal. And she tells the reporter that she is currently using hypnotherapy to help herself and others to live as full and as normal a life as possible. um um, so she suffered from liver liver failure from taking long-term antibiotics um, um and and as a result has ended up launching a hypnotherapy business to help others and i think um one of one of the reasons i wanted to cite this particular story was because you know many hypnotherapists come into the field of hypnotherapy just this way it's great that we get people so convinced of its effects having experienced them directly you know themselves um like I said, she's been left with a number of chronic health conditions, suffers constant pain, affects her muscles and joints. And her condition meant to, um, she had to pack up her her existing job and she retrained as a hypnotherapist and she uses hypnotherapy herself. And um, I'm, I'm She is now a qualified clinical hypnotherapist registered with the National Council of Hypnotherapy. And one of the things that was a real tonic about this particular article was that um, um, it was quite matter of fact, offered some useful statistics and resources and was not filled with misinformation. So basically it was a happy Adam all round. And of course, I wish Jo the very best with her career in this field. Our second story this week, is entitled Tapping the Healing Power of Hypnosis in Medical Treatment. Um, And the story is really highlighting that hypnosis is being used more within the medical environment, um, and certainly hospitals in Ramondi are leading the way. Um, In the large burns unit of the Lausanne University Hospital, it is used, hypnosis is used on a daily basis. And um, they've also launched a study there Um, that has shown that hypnosis reduces the time that patients are kept in intensive care and saves 19,000 Swiss francs per patient. And so the hospital wants to extend this into other departments, quite rightly so. Could you send a memo to all the hospitals here in the UK too, please? Um, And I'll quote, If hypnosis were a medication, it would already be in all hospitals, but it is an approach and thus it must overcome cultural barriers. And that says Dr. Pierre-Yves Rodondi, a doctor at the University Institute of Social and Preventative Medicine at the same hospital. The management has given him a mandate to study how to use hypnosis in this environment. Um, And he says, you know, there are scientific studies, unfortunately ignored by a large part of the medical community that demonstrate the effectiveness of hypnosis in pain management. It is a tool that should be integrated into treatment. It works with almost everyone, even those who are sceptical, explains Dr. Rodondi. Now, you know what? I need to get Dr. Rodondi onto the show. I'm going to contact him. Um, I mean, he he cites um, a bunch of other studies um, and one in particular that was carried out on 23 severely burned people undergoing hypnosis um, 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 compared to a control group treated in a traditional way yielded very positive results the the group with hypnosis had pain and anxiety decreased significantly their uh, number of psychiatric sessions were reduced the doses of opiates and sedatives administered to address the very painful medical surgical interventions were also reduced wounds healed quicker and um there was a there was a you know, major decrease in skin grafts that were applied to the hypnotised groups. So, um, um, you know, this is this is just wonderful stuff as far as I'm concerned. Um, do go and have a read of that particular article. Our third uh, article this week, um, I'm 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 offering up. It is entitled, "Man Charged in Break-In Says He's a CIA Agent Under Hypnosis." So, yes, this is the story that a Farmington man uh, over in the U.S. is accused of breaking into a woman's home and then claiming to be a valuable CIA agent under hypnosis. And this is the the Daily Times has reported this Um, um, over in San Juan County. Deputies arrested a man by the name of David Hutton um, says he kicked in the door of a woman's home in Aztec armed with a fake pistol and uh, he allegedly told deputies that he was actually a cia agent worth 142 million dollars and that he was under court ordered hypnosis how wonderful uh, george ester brooks would have loved to have heard that, um, would love to 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 have heard that some of the things he was suggesting back in his 1950s writings were actually coming true today um, anyhow, links to all of these media stories are listed under this week's podcast entry over at www.hypnosis-weekly.com. Next up, we have this week's professional discussion. I uh, Welcome back, Igor Ledahovsky. As I mentioned earlier, um, I've known Igor um, um, for you know, b- b- the large part of my career. Yet when I was just getting to grips with online sales of hypnosis audio products... He was busy taking the world by storm. His conversational hypnosis program absolutely sang its way to the top of the charts at ClickBank and made a great impression all over the world. Such was the influence that this program was having that I actually quipped during a conference presentation a few years ago that most young hypnotists these days simply said to me, when I grow up, I want to be able to speak like Igor. Igor is exponentially more than a single application of hypnosis such as conversational hypnosis would suggest as I've already discussed but I wanted to explore this particular program and what's made it so successful and to really understand what what it actually is. So that's what we discuss here. Here is this week's professional discussion with Igor Ledahovsky. Do enjoy. So I'm rejoined now with Igor Lederhofsky. And um, at the end of our earlier interview in today's show, one of the things that Igor was saying towards the end there, um, we were just we were just talking about that, that the main websites to go to discover more about Igor's work. And one of them was um, the, the website of the Conversational Hypnosis Programme. Igor mentioned that it was one of the things that, that really helped propel his career. And mm. certainly, um, um, it's one of the things that you know i would consider it to be a real phenomena a major phenomena of of modern hypnosis um um on so many different levels um um igor welcome back thank first, you thank you i'm pleased to be back. thank you first of all tell us a little bit about the background of this program
1: you know you know how did okay. it come to be what what what, what, what? so yeah, it's a great, it's a, thank you for the question. First of all, thank you for the plug. <laughs> <laughs> so, so here's what happened. As I, as I mentioned previously, I, I used to be a lawyer and I was at a very high powered firm in the UK. And so, you know, this idea of, of, of I was working with a, a, a very, um, I guess you can want to say elite or elitist clientele. I was working with high-level executives at big banks, mostly. Sometimes high-level executives in large corporations, uh, and this was, was during the, the the whole dot-com boom area, I was actually involved in the in IPOs. Yeah. Uh, that was my specialty field. So it was a really sexy, really exciting time, uh, and I did like that. I mean, when I, when I say that you know I was working too hard and all the rest of it, it's true. And, and Ultimately, my, my heart wasn't in shuffling money from one account to another so much. I didn't feel I was making that much of a difference. But I did enjoy the process of of uh, learning about a new company, going to the IPO and so on. And especially, I really uh, when I was thinking of making the transition from a lawyer to a hypnotist, uh, a lot of people made fun of me, of course, because I was going from the pinnacle of my profession to basically, you know, with as, vast, they, as far they, as they were concerned, reading tarot cards on street corners, right? <laughs> and, 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 and they didn't see my vision, of course. Um, and, I, and I sat down and really thought about this, and I asked myself, what did I really like about my job? Because it wasn't all misery and gloom. It wasn't at all, right? Yeah. Uh, it, it's just I, I didn't love the law enough to make those sacrifices, but there are many things I did enjoy and I really enjoyed working with a high caliber of clients, really smart people, really motivated people and well, the fact that you can get well paid by them, that the idea of spending you know, large chunks of change was really no problem to them, that didn't hurt either, right? Mm. So then I looked at the hypnotherapy business model, and I, I, it wasn't really a business model at the time. I just thought charging by the session. And I thought, this is going to be a lot of work. And it's true, right? You have to rethink the traditional hypnotherapy model for it to work properly. And then I asked myself, well, I really enjoyed working with these executives. Well, why don't I... Why don't I just rebrand as an executive coach as well? So I'll have my therapy practice for the people who can't afford me as a coach. And then I'll work with the people that I really like working with as a lawyer. Only now I get paid all the money instead of my law firm, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And, and, and you got to bear in mind, in the UK at the time, the idea of coaching – was only just, just mm. beginning to make its inroads. And the idea of executive coaching did not exist. No one understood what it meant. I, I went from, from you know, uh, uh, lots of, uh, to, to high-end like accountancy firms. Uh, I went to, to um, you know, Fortune 500 companies and no one understood what this thing was in the UK because it didn't exist. Mm. It only had just started getting some traction in the US at the time, which is where the idea kind of uh, borrowed its way into my mind. But then you've got to picture this scenario. I'm, 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 about, I'm 27 years old. I've just left my law firm, right? Um, my average, the average uh, executive I'm looking at is going to be in their late 40s, early 50s, almost twice my age, yeah. right? I know nothing about nothing about nothing when it comes to <laughs> business. I don't know anything. I know this, right? There's only one ace I have up my sleeve, and I can't use it. It's hypnosis, right? Mm. And, 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 and just, just the idea of taking out a pocket watch, dangling in front of a, a, <laughs> a, a, a CEO of a multinational corporation saying, you know, and then for him to go to his shareholders and say, oh, yeah, yeah, I got hypnotized doing this. It was a really good deal, right? That just it doesn't work. So and this is, this is partly fueled by the whole Ericksonian thing. It's one of the reasons I was so passionate about Ericsson. Because Erickson had what I would call a semi conversational approach. Uh, mm-hmm. In the sense that at the time I thought it was pure conversational, but I've changed my mind in that sense. The idea was, you, you know, he talked to you, and next thing you knew, you'd be in this deep trance and wonderful things would happen. And uh, the reason I call it semi covert is because you knew something was happening, you just had no idea what it was, right? Mm-hmm. And I mined, I, I cannot tell you how obsessively I mined through his uh, materials, his books, yeah. his audio tapes. His videos weren't available then other than the Mondi tapes yeah. at the time. Uh, and, and, I, and I interrogated people who had been personal students of his to kind of try and get the secret source out of this. Because I knew that if I can convert hypnosis into a conversational setting, a setting like you and I are having right now, and and, and still have access to the hypnotic effects, shall we say, not the phenomenon necessarily, because that doesn't fit a coaching style session, but the effects of instant transformation, if you like, uh, or instant problem resolution, which is probably a bit more uh, accurate, um, then then I've got a winning, uh, I've got a winner here. Then mm. I can justify, even at the age of 27, going in and saying, um, I have something that you don't have access to in other ways, and I don't have to know the solution anymore. I just have to get you to the point where you can find a solution, given your experiences, which are much greater than mine anyways, right? Yeah. And, and, and so that's really the birthplace of it. Uh, it took me a long, long time to polish and refine. In fact, I'm still polishing and refining it now. But I'd say it took me about a year to, to tweak out just the crude basic elements of what has now become my approach to conversation and even those elements. Started working really well, and and uh, I started getting clients, and uh, I started getting other people referring me to clients like like uh, uh, who had like golden client lists, bringing me in. Admittedly, they did get a cut, which is of course an incentive. <laughs> but they but they still wouldn't have done that if I was going to mess up the actual work, right? Yeah. Um, because they would lose their client list too. So. Uh, it, it worked in well enough for for me, for me to have confidence. This is the right approach, and so I started developing it and and testing things. And um, eventually, I had a, a really small uh, body of knowledge that um, I started teaching uh, privately at first. Uh, and 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 of course, the iterations have improved with each generation that I've been uh, rethinking it. And uh, that's eventually when, when uh, Cliff is my business partner. Yeah. Uh, so when he and I started working together, um, that was the, the first program that we launched. I actually re-recorded it, which at the time I hated doing because I thought I've already done the work. Why don't you just have that? <laughs> and of course, right now, I'm a lot less arrogant than I was back then. And I realized that it was a really good thing to re keep re-recording, keep recreating the content that you have because I've grown and the content's grown and yeah. stuff that that I thought was the right way to do things, you know, 10 years ago, I'd say now is just a crude way of doing things and there are, there are better ways or there is a, there's an essence of an approach there that can be refined. So why, why, why should I get stuck with what I used to be and not what I've become, right?
0: Yeah yeah i mean that that, that's really refreshing to hear because um you know this 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 idea we're we're all you know hypnotherapists and hypnosis professionals Mm. in general are always encouraged to 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 understand and apply you know continued professional development and Mm. and it it ought to apply to 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 all of us and and what we do and and so on you know i mean you'll know as well you know i i I had i had some major development happen within my own career which which at times was a bitter pill
1: to swallow you know some, some, some humble and, pie and, and Adam, to get eaten. <laughs> I just say, I, I take my hat off for you for doing that, because that is not an easy step you did, to do a complete 180. Um, it, it's difficult, it's painful, it's frightening. And I take my hat off for you for doing it. But I also see that you've got to a much better place because of it, and that's a really important thing. And I think that's the way our field grows, is when people have the courage, the intellectual courage, to say, all right, uh, I've grown since then, let's go in a new direction now, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So
0: and so, with regards to conversational hypnosis, then, mm. um, um, first of all, can can you just sort of frame it for us? Just just give us a bit of a, an introduction
1: with regards to, to what, what is it? Right. So, so very uh, simply put, is um, the, 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 the challenge I set myself was this: how can I have something that from the outside looks just like I'm having a a regular conversation, albeit a a very deep conversation, but a regular conversation with a friend. Yeah. But within the context of that uh, discussion, shall we say, to achieve the same effects I would be able to get with a classic trance. You know, eyes closed, hands floating in the air, uh, people drooling on the truth. This this was my conceptualization of it most of the time, so please don't hold me to it right now. But you you get the idea, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, How can I achieve... The results I, I know I can get from that in a normal conversation like you and I are having right now, right? Yeah. Um, and and th- that was really the, the essence of it. And of course, I had some hints, right? Yeah. The ABS formula was my attempt at redefining the working elements of classical hypnosis mm. so that I could then apply it inside a conversation. Can I get attention to conversation? Absolutely. Can I break down this automatic rejection mechanism of conversation? Absolutely. Right? Mm. Can I simulate an unconscious response? That was a tricky one for me until I started uh, asking myself what I meant by an ex- unconscious response. And now I can categorically say, absolutely I can. Mm. Right? Um, so I, I had to basically, you know, camouflage uh, uh, direct hypnosis. And of course, Ericksonian hypnosis was a big, big, big clue in that direction. Uh, but it's semi covert, which means people still know you're up to something, they just haven't got any idea what it is. And that was still. A little dissatisfying, shall we say? Yes. Right, uh, and so that been polishing that approach constantly to the point where where um, now actually have uh, different styles of conversation hypnosis that fit different contexts. There's the mind-bending language style, which is really fast. There's a, I think of it as the special forces of conversation hypnosis. Right, we have the active style, which is the most uh, the, but m- m- people are most familiar with me, which is the eloquent use of language and uh, b- framing ideas and presenting them in such a way that we 're triggering the essential hypnotic uh, cascade in such someone 's mind. In other words, the way that they are thinking whilst i 'm talking with them will be uh, really identical to how they 'd be thinking if they were you know uh, drooling and closed eyes and their hands were floating up in the air Their, their thought yeah. process would be very similar only they don't have to do with the drooling part, right? Yeah. Um, and then the third style that that is kind of my latest work right now that I'm really excited by is what I call the passive style, which which uh, uh, I set myself a challenge because a lot of people are familiar with my approach now, right? Yes. So, so I set myself a challenge. How could I disguise conversation hypnosis even further so that even those people that can do conversation hypnosis really well wouldn't recognize that I'm doing it right now? Right. Because yes. I, 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 partly because it's fun and partly because I'd have some students say, like, are you doing it right now? Are you doing it? It's like, come on, relax. It's OK. Right. Yeah. But then I thought, why not? But well, what if I did do it that way? And and believe it or not, you, you, can I give you a, 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 a um, an insight as to who uh, someone who don't traditionally think of as a hypnotist, but where I got the inspiration for this new style of approach? I think yeah, you might enjoy please. this. Uh, Socratic dialogues. Really? yep yeah I, I know i know we've hypnotist. Yeah, I,
0: I, I know that we've, we've touched upon this when we've been speaking yeah. recently and and one of the things that, that i have to say to, to listeners is one of the things i said to you off air you know um um that, that I, I think you display a lot of humility you know you're very humble with and especially you know within our interview you're talking about being a pragmatist Yet yet you're definitely one of the more erudite well-read and and, well, more, and, and, and well-researched, um, 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 well-known figures in our field. I'm um, um, very much so. And and you know, it, you. it really made me smile when um, when you and I had that discussion, and and, and you were you, you so readily quote Socratic dialogues um, um, within our, within our discussions before. Please tell me about it.
1: Well, there's absolute gold in that, absolute gold. Oh, my God, it's so good. Uh, you've you got to bear in mind, you've got to see past the cultural differences. Socrates died 2,500 years ago in a totally different culture than ours, right? Mm. So a lot of people bypass the flowery language because they think, well, that wouldn't work. And you're, they're right, right? We're, we're in a society where we're getting sick with of, of uh political propaganda corporate spin doctoring and and things like that so this mindless flattery is something that we have an allergic reaction to shall we say yeah. right the greeks were a little different and it was a different era so you've got to see past that element um but if you mind th- mind through it this is this is this is the bit that really got my attention uh, my cousin actually gave me a little book called the gorgias it's really easy to read it's one of the socratic dialogues it's one of the simplest ones to read mm-hmm. and uh I was blown away by the premise in one of the things where he talked to someone and he convinced them step by step that a criminal, someone who's, you know, committed a crime, will be happy when he's punished and he'll be miserable if he's not caught and punished. So that really all criminals want to get caught and get punished. And of yeah. course, it's very counterintuitive. No one would say in the right mind would go, "Yeah, of course criminals, they all want to get punished. They love it." Right? Uh-huh. We wouldn't say that. And and by the way, I still don't agree with the conclusion, right? Mm. But the way he presents the ideas, it's, it, was, it was the first time I read through it, I thought, what? what I, he might be right. Mm-hmm. And I had to read through it really carefully to suddenly figure out where he got me, so to speak, right? Mm-hmm. where he trapped my mind in something. And of course, uh, if we assume that the Socratic dialogues are relatively faithful to the kinds of conversations he had, he did generally get people to have radical mind shifts in terms of their perception of what is real. Right. Mm-hmm. So much so that the state, um, Athens, had to kill him because they were afraid he was destabilizing the very foundation of their society. Right. Yeah. That's pretty extreme stuff. I mean, <laughs> what's his name? Uh, uh, John Snowden, not John was Snow, um, uh, Snowden, who did the whole WikiLeaks thing.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, he may be hated by the CIA, And they would probably happily slip him a bit of, uh, you know, a little bit of the death uh, juice. But um, (laughs) he's not even close to what Socrates represented to the uh, Athenian society, right? Mm. So, so there's a real, there's something there, and and if we can mine it, knowing what we know now about psychology, about hypnosis, about uh, cognitive approaches, right? Then, then, then there's, there's 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 something to learn here, and I, I'm really big on learning this. Yeah. My my second big insight came from uh, a pet peeve of mine. Can I get on a soapbox a little bit here? Is that yes, okay? Please, please. All right. So my soapbox is oh is this idea of education. Everyone talks about the education system and, and so on and, and getting an education. And education will, if you have a good education, you'll be, it'll, it'll get you a, a great start in life and all the rest of it. Uh, and, and now people are complaining that even a great education won't get you a good start anymore because the economy is all messed up and so on. Mm-hmm. And I disagree, right? I still think that having a great education will make you a winner in life. The problem is this. I don't think that what we currently kind of conceive of as a society as being education, I don't think that's an education. There's a difference between schooling and education. And let Mm -hmm. me explain what I mean by this. Uh, What I think currently is going on in schools and to a certain extent in universities as well now, it's kind of washed across a little bit, is more an indoctrination. And and I'm a fan of words and I I love the etymological dictionary, the Mm -hmm. dictionary that looks at the roots of words because it, it helps you understand why we say the things we say. And what, what, what message we're trying to convey, right? Yeah. So, if you look at education and against indoctrination, these are both Latin roots. Education comes from the Latin word e or ex, the same word as exit, meaning out. Yes. And duco, ducare right? is actually where we get the word duke from, which is about leading, right? Uh, duke was a battle leader, basically, mm. right? So, e, x, and duco means I'm leading something out. I'm drawing something out of the person. So, we're presupposing that something in them already, and it's going to come out. In indoctrination, on the other hand, there was a uh, – the classic example of this was called the Nürnberg um, funnel by the German uh, educators, or actually indoctrinators. Um, and this is the wish that the, the schoolmasters had back in the 19th century, that if only they could crack the s- stupid school children's uh, heads open, stick a funnel in, and <laughs> pour in all of their wisdom, life would be so much easier. But, oh, I'm played with having to get these kids to have to memorize stuff because they're idiots, right? Right. Um, Indoctrination is the word in, as in the English word in, which mm. is where we've got it from. And doct- uh, uh, doctrination comes from, is the same root as, as doctor, meaning uh, "learned." it. Uh, in other words, things you have learned. It's about information, shall we say, right? Mm. So a doctor is a learned person. They've learned a lot of things. That's why with a PhD, is also called a doctor, not just an MD, who's learned about medical facts, right? Mm. So indoctrination is all about taking what I have learned and putting it into you. It's a useful thing, right? It it, it has its place. There is a place for indoctrination. But don't confuse indoctrination with education. Education is about drawing things out of you. And the basic basic, uh, tool of an education is a question. The basic tool of indoctrination is a fact, right? Mm. So we as a culture are obsessed with putting facts into something else, and, and, and therefore, you know, basically treating the brain like a hard drive that you just have to store enough facts on, and then the person can do stuff. And that's not the case. Uh, an education is about uh, evoking thinking, not thoughts. A thought is a prepackaged thing, a piece of information that you give them and say, you take it now, right? The act of thinking, on the other hand, is, in my opinion, generated by questions. When I ask you a question. Well, it forces you to think. If I ask you, how happy are you, right? Mm. It, 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 it makes you look through your memories. And like, am I happy? Am I not happy? You start accessing happy memories. If I ask you, uh, how often are you depressed? That's, uh, that's making you think in very different ways. It's making you search for very different kinds of information. I'm directing your your fundamental mental processes just by that question. And that's really exciting. Mm. Um, then we look at my, some of my heroes, like uh, uh, like Erickson, and he himself said that really therapy <clears throat> is just a form of education, and and in this sense, I totally agree with that. Yeah. It's it's uh, helping the person use their mental processes in such a way that they that they no longer have to live in a world where that problem can exist for them, right? Yeah. Versus creating a world in which that problem does exist, and that all happens inside our little our skulls here, right? So. Um, Going full circle back to to Socrates. Um, Moving from a telling to an asking model, you can still direct people's thinking, which is really the essence of hypnosis. You can still form suggestions in the form of these questions, shall we say. But it's much more invisible because now a a, a classic uh, passive uh, conversation hypnosis session will look from the outside like I'm doing nothing because I'm silent 90% of the time. Right. Mm. The only time I switch to the active style is when I can see you on the right path and then I'll throw in my suggestions to encourage it. I'm basically, you know, what's the difference between pushing a child on a swing and pushing a child off a swing? How, how hard you push? It's that, but I really it's actually more timing. Right. Yeah. yeah if you yeah. push at the wrong time, they fall off. Yeah. Yeah. If yeah. You get in the at way. The right. Time, Right, if you push at the right time, it doesn't matter how hard you push, you're harmonizing with the direction they're going in already, right? So this is the kind of uh, thing I was thinking about. And, and where do you find this? You find this approach in, in well, the, the Socrates, I think, started the approach. He would ask people questions all the time. Mm. And that's why I think he was the world, I, I think he's the, the first written example of hypnosis. There's other examples of people talking about hypnotic effects. But the first recorded hypnotic dialogue, in my opinion, are the Socratic dialogues, right? Mm. Um, people are welcome to disagree with that. I, I, it doesn't really matter. I have no, no axe to grind here. I'm just uh, showing you how I think about this stuff, right? Mm. Um, and, then, and then what evolved from that? Well, we had things like grammar and logic, right? Yes. So again, I think logic is a really wonderful field, but not, 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 and actually philosophy in general is a wonderful field, but not in the way they're currently being looked at. I think current philosophers are, are I, I don't like it very much. And, and the reason I don't like it very much is because um, I can't remember who, who um, I'm, I'm about to quote here, and I may probably completely um, massacre the actual idea, but here's the <laughs> essence of the idea. Any form of philosophy that doesn't alleviate human suffering is a waste of time,
0: mm.
1: right? And, and how many academic philosophers right now are out there ending human suffering? None. Mm. But then you look at something like CBT which is an evidence based approach right and basically you have amateur philosophy yeah it's a really basic form of philosophy and 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 some versions of it are a bit crude and I'm not a fan of it because again it goes to indoctrination think this versus education well you know uh by challenging the thought processes right um but but it works and it works really well and 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 I'm um, you know we have discussions about how CBT and and, and hypnosis are really kissing cousins and and depending on your your perspective on what hypnosis is, I personally think CBT when it works uh, is really a form of hypnosis. I think it's a form of conversational hypnosis. Congratulations, you guys preceded me by a couple of decades, right? <laughs> <laughs> but but you see where my thinking's going yeah, with this? Yeah, 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 absolutely, I do,
0: yeah. Is this um, answering your question? Yeah, very much so. Very much so. Is there, is there then, do you think, a, 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 an ethos that underpins the conversational hypnosis approach, you know, within your program? Is there, is there an underlying philosophy to it, um, um, it, it you know, along the, the, the lines of Socratic dialogues then?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, So. Um, well, for, I guess if you want a mission statement, and I haven't really thought of it in these terms, so forgive me if I kind of uh, ad-lib a little bit here, okay? Hmm. If you want a mission statement, I'd say um, you've got to come from a couple of presumptions. And these are untestable presumptions. At least I don't know of any way of testing them. And, and I don't care, really, because it, these presumptions have worked for me. Uh, and if someone gets to test them and find better versions of these, I'll happily see what results they get, right? Yeah. So here are some of my basic premises. Number one, the old adage that a person has everything they need somewhere within themselves, right? Yeah. Uh, it's just a question of applying the the right resource in the right way. And I, I totally believe that. And, and by the way, uh, the reason I believe that, it may be just a, a semantic argument, but I think it's a very useful one, which is the fundamental capacity that every human being shares, the thing that sets us apart from every other species on this planet, is our incredible capacity to learn, mm. right? All animals learn. Of course they yes. do. But we learn and we can abstract in ways that really leaves other animals in the dust, right? Yeah. So the fundamental resource that human beings have is our ability to learn. So if we're stuck in some way, then the biggest resource we need to pull out of them is for them to learn what it is they lead to learn to, to achieve success in it. Let's go back to the area of business, right? Uh, I'm not suggesting that I can hypnotize you and say you're going to be good at business, you'll be great at business, wonderful, you go out there and be a great business person mm. because one person will interpret that as a suggestion uh, that, they, that they just go out there and, and, and do basically everything that's wrong in business because okay. there were the things that they witnessed in business but <laughs> typically don't really work yeah. and that would be doing them a disservice. Yet the other person will go out and take that as a suggestion that Um, I need to go out and study other business people because I'm just like them. I just got to figure out what bits of me are like them and then I'll just be more of that. And of course, in that case, it does work, right? So what is it that bit that worked? Was it my suggestion or was it your willingness to go out and learn how to be a good business person? And I think it's the latter. All my suggestion did was inspire you uh, unconsciously or co-consciously or however you want to think about it to go out there and engage your learning process, right? Mm. Um, and their excellent quote that struck with me very much was, a, a client learn to have their problem, and they can learn to not have their problem. And mm. again, it's the learning process. So um, so, so if the fundamental premise would be, if the f- first premise is everyone has the resources they need to succeed in life in whatever way they want to do that, and, then, and underpinning that is the idea that the ultimate resource is learning, then our second premise must be uh, that all forms of change are a form of education, mm. right? Uh, and, and sometimes indoctrination gets lumped in with that education. It's a form of learning. I think education is superior to indoctrination because it teaches someone how to learn more. It teaches someone how to think better, right? So any tools that help us do that, well, those will be fundamentally uh, powerful tools and, 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 and uh, I want to include them in what I'm doing, right? Mm. right? And, and this is how I've learned all these ideas didn't just come from me. They came from my ideas uh, hitting uh, consensual reality and bouncing back in a different way until there was a harmony that was good enough that I could affect consensual reality, which I think is what hypnosis does, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, So another premise would be this. Um, and um, these, are, these are not all logically – they're not all categorized in the right order, but I'll throw them at you as they come to me. Mm. Um, oh, It's it's the, the, uh, unlike a lot of modern people who like to rag on uh, uh, Descartes about the whole mind-body split, it wasn't his fault, right? In fact, the whole idea of calling that a Cartesian fallacy is incorrect because he never made a mind-body split. That was something that the Enlightenment period was doing as a society in order to separate religion from science so that science could say, you deal with the spirit and we'll deal with the body because that was the inroads to be able to be free from religious dogma inside of academic research, right? And it was yeah. a very important step. It admittedly has gone too far, uh, and it to be redressed in the other direction a little bit. Uh, but it was an important step. And to blame Descartes for it, just because he said, I think, therefore I am, I think is to completely misunderstand his, 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 uh, his uh, actual premise. Yeah. And here's what I mean. The, the place it came from, uh, and there's been other arguments like this, like Avicenna's falling man, um, is the idea that how do we know what's actually real? What if, you know, this is the matrix reality, what if right now, and this is using the Cartesian uh, uh, symbolism of the day, what if right now I'm actually trapped in hell and a little demon imp is just messing with me and giving me things to see, giving me hallucinations, essentially, giving me visions and, 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 and senses and tastes and, 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 and experiences, and he's using them to fool me, right? Mm. How would I know I was being fooled, right? Can I trust what I see? Well, no. Can I trust what I touch? Well, no. Can I trust what I hear? Well, no. And, and if we translate that to uh, neuroscience, it's true, right? Mm. The, 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 we don't see the world that it is. We, see, we, we have, there's light waves, that is energy that enters our eyeballs. Eyeballs translate that to an electrical signature. The electrical signature crosses the synaptic gap chemically and then carries on electrochemically all the way up to the brain. And then the brain has to reinterpret the image, which of course even comes then upside down and reflips it around again. So you're basically, we're hallucinating all the time. We're doing all the hypnotic phenomena all the time, Mm. right? I, I don't understand you. All I hear is pressure waves in my eardrum that rattles this little bone called the eardrum, which again sets off this electrochemical cascade, which once again has to be interpreted. And if my brain breaks the interpretation mechanism, I go deaf, functionally, even though my eardrum might still be working, mm. right? Or I go, go language deaf. You know, there's, um, there's there's all kinds of different conditions when uh, different parts of the brain, like the Wernicke area, gets uh, gets damaged. Sometimes people have, uh, like aphasia, they can't say words, but they can understand them. And sometimes it's the opposite way around. They can express words, but they can't, uh, uh, they can, uh, sorry, they, they, they can understand words, but they can't say them, or they can express words uh, uh, that they can, you get the idea, the yeah, other way around. Yeah. I'm confusing myself a little bit, but you get the idea. <laughs> yeah, so if yeah. we go from the premise that then what we know is, 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 is what makes us so sure that everything around us is real, what makes us so sure our problems are real. And, and if we bring in a little bit of the placebo effect here on top of that, if people can be, quote, unquote, fooled into medical miracles, well, where's the medical miracle taking place? Yeah. Right? We are fundamentally capable of medical miracles every day. The only reason we're not is because somehow we're constraining our sense of reality to this and only this, right? Mm. So anything that expands that, I think, is hypnotic. Hypnosis is all about testing other realities until we find one that's better than the one we used to work on, which is really a a form of philosophy. What Mm. if we tried a different world on and does this new world work better for us, right? Right. Um, and, and, so, and so anything that lets us do that, lets us test a new reality and experience the the, the feedback of that reality, I think is a form of hypnosis, mm. but it's also a form of learning. And education, I think, is the, a superior way of learning because it's self-generated. It's, it's empowering rather than indoctrination, which is a little disempowering. It suggests that I have the answers, but you don't versus education that says you have all the answers you need. I'm just going to help you figure that part out, right? Yeah. So does this kind of is this yeah, kind of hitting absolutely
0: spotlight? absolutely? Um, um, you know, I think that there's so much, so much in what you've just said that 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 I find, um, uh, you know, that, that 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 seems to be a very unlikely parallel to to to, to some of the some of the approaches that, and some of the leaning that I have myself. So, for right. example, you know, the 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 the, 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 the education. Of, mm-hmm. of, of our clients for example mm-hmm. as hypnotherapists mm-hmm. or hypnosis professionals the education mm-hmm. of our clients you know i i i i'm very keen often to to reframe therapy full stop in, mm-hmm. in more in terms of rather than i am doing therapy upon you or to you mm-hmm. um, in terms of educating them in self-efficacy and educating them mm-hmm. in being mm-hmm. a good responsive therapeutic client for example absolutely in order that they can develop that and and you know it's it's real music to my ears to hear some of that being echoed um, um albeit in a very uh, um, um a very slightly different guise and and sure you know i i, I thoroughly enjoyed those those parallels thank I mean, you I'm, I'm I, I can understand you know from mm-hmm. from our discussions i can understand why this program of yours has been so incredibly popular because you know I think it, it really really has been incredibly popular and 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 you know I encounter so many people that that that, that love this program of yours T- tell me um, um what are your own thoughts on what the reasons are that 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 this has been such a popular program
1: it's a great question and I think the answer to that lies in again it's not a simple answer there's there's the variables like that- Feed together, right? Mm. One, one key fair variable is marketing. I, I, Cliff is a great business person, a great marketer, and and uh, he knows how to get the word out there, right? It's the complete antithesis to where I think you and I both started with the whole idea of oh, put my shingle out and they'll line <laughs> up, and they'll yeah. oh, thank me for the pleasure of it. Yeah. It's nothing like that. It's a lot of work <laughs> doing marketing properly, right? Yeah. So, so that in itself was a, a crucial piece of the puzzle. Um, and, and, and secondly, uh, right from the get-go, we decided that we wanted to be uh, affordable, right? Mm. Um, so, so, you know, and, and I have to admit, it took me some getting used to because uh, I, a lot of times I thought we were underpriced and people keep saying that, you, you know, you, you could charge way more for this. I'm going, yes, I know. But but the, the argument for that was really a, 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 a cogent one and, and, and I've come around to this. The idea that, you know, we're making it accessible to more people. So we make up in volume what we yeah. lose in terms of quote-unquote value, right? Yeah. So being underpriced definitely has helped, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. right? Um, the, so that's the, the the business side of it. But none of that would matter because uh, at the time, there were other hypnosis products out there that were being heavily marketed by very, very skilled marketing professionals that had nowhere near the same traction. So mm. then the flip side of that, I think, it comes to content, right? Yeah. And and I think that there's, a, there's, again, a number of different elements that come together. One is the... The practicality of what we do, especially conversational hypnosis, because I'm so I've been so passionate from this day, the day that day one that hypnosis is something that belongs everywhere. Right? Yeah. You can use it to solve everyday problems. Let's let's put it this way: um, taking aside, you know, medical issues inside yourself, right? Mm. Wouldn't it be fair to say that 90% of our problems in day-to-day life are interactional problems? In other words, uh, someone doesn't like something and causes your problem. Someone won't believe you and doesn't cause you a problem. Uh, a client won't buy because they don't trust you. A student won't learn because they're upset. A uh, a, a child, a son or a daughter, uh, has a tantrum uh, because you miscommunicated in some way. Uh, a, a sports star um, uh, chokes at the wrong moment because of something that was said to him when he was a little kid, right? Mm. So th- these are all communication problems. And... I think conversation hypnosis, because it is so widely applicable, has caught people's imagination. Remember we talked about uh, in the previous interview when we talked about my favorite books? Yeah, It, it has that inspirational quality. What can't you do with it, right? Mm. Um, it, it's limitless. It, 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 I honestly think, even now, I think we are vastly constrained as to applications for hypnosis as a field in general. We should get really creative and start applying it to every situation that we come across, because I think it'll enhance it all. And, and because I really believe that, I think that's come across to people, and that's inspired them to go and try it out in different places. And of course, the, the, the next element is it's practical. It actually yeah. does what it says on the tin, right? Yeah. Uh, not everyone can, you know. Uh, Make this particular do- toy work out of the box because you know some people need a bit more uh, foundational work. Some people need a little bit more personal work actually before the influence will work will start working for them. So they're they're typically the ones who are technique obsessed and they don't realize that sometimes context trumps technique, right? Yeah. Um, but overall, people get this idea and 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 they get enough of a success with it in in their solving their interactional problems that they go, well, what else can I do with this, right? Mm. Um, and I think the last piece is, is something that I think is, is is very close to your own heart too. Is um, I, whilst I don't mind the mysticism in, in term, I don't like, I don't mind mystery in terms of the the feel good part of that. Yeah. I do not like mystery in the sense of obscurity and sort of fudging corners. Right. Yeah. So I, I have no qualms with people asking me any question they want. If I don't know the answer, I'll tell them. If I think I have an answer, I'll tell them with a caveat that. This is what I would do, but you know I've got no way of backing that up right yeah. uh, and of course, if I do have ways of backing it up i 'll happily quote a study or an experiment or my reasoning, or i 'll walk you through my logic to see if you 'll agree with my logic and I think that's the because i 've taken that educational approach that that if you don't understand something, ask me, and i 'll work really hard to figure out where we misconnected uh, on on the, the these ideas. I think that gave people a lot of freedom to finally ask all those questions they were afraid of asking their teachers because they were Absolutely. more of the school, oh just do it my way and don't that everything else is no good. Right? Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I mean that, that that has really come across. In 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 the discussions that, that you and I have had, you know, where I expected there to perhaps to be to be a chasm, the, mm. the that that has been bridged you know absolutely bridged by the flexibility that we were both prepared to to meet each other at you know yes. with with that and, and 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 I think that comes across in in your work that comes across in the way you communicate and I think you know I'm, I'm, I'm communicating that and and making that an inherent part of how and who you are is is definitely something which, in my opinion you know seemingly must have contributed to the popularity of it that and the fact that you know. the the, it capturing the imagination
1: Mm. which of course itself is hypnotic right (laughs) yeah absolutely
0: well well, quite you know um, i'm absolutely it is Um, right um you you know what igor i I could keep on discussing this um and keep on discussing this we're we are we're out of time um that's a shame um, thank you so much for coming and being a part of hypnosis weekly i've really enjoyed it um me too um for everybody listening, uh, do go visit www.conversational-hypnosis.com. Um, awesome program. Um, um, Igor Ledahovsky, thank you for joining us on Hypnosis Weekly.
1: Adam, thank you. It's been a real pleasure. And, and I, I really appreciate you giving me the time to uh, share my message a bit with the world. And in particular, thank you for asking the kind of questions you did because it's a real pleasure to be able to just you know, do a bit of a mind dump and show you what, what's going on inside my brain. And, and uh, thank you for giving me the opportunity to do that.
0: I, I've really, really enjoyed that. Thank you. Igor thank you. I thoroughly enjoyed that discussion. Now, I have spent a fair few hours in recent weeks engaged in real deep conversations about hypnosis with Igor. And I have to say his reputation is well earned. He's a great guy, an incredible hypnosis professional. Um, If you have access to his or my own online membership areas, you'll be able to access our five, uh, five hour masterclass project that we recently recorded together. We really went at it. It's a feast for hypnosis geeks for sure. Anyway, I'm on to this week's evidence-based hypnosis factoid of the week. And it's this. Hypnosis significantly improves the effectiveness of CBT for weight reduction. So yes indeed according to a study, a meta-analysis put together by Irving Kirsch back in the late 1990s who found the mean weight loss um, in the meta-analysis study when hypnosis was used was double that of CBT alone and the benefits of hypnosis was shown to increase substantially over time. Um, it's a really impressive meta-analysis study that has actually been updated and the research has been re-analyzed to give the most accurate findings. And I've included a link to the paper, Hypnotic Enhancement of Cognitive Behavioral Weight Loss Treatments, another meta reanalysis uh, over at the, um, a link to that over at the Hypnosis Weekly website. Um, I do have many more exciting guests that are welcome to Hypnosis Weekly in coming weeks too. We'll be discussing, debating, celebrating and above all remaining good friends. And to repeat, all the references made in the discussions along with related links are posted at each episode of the Hypnosis Weekly website www.hypnosis-weekly.com There'll be links to Igor's sites up there. Um, Next time out, I welcome um, Beryl Komar as my guest. We'll be talking hypnodontics, amongst other things. I absolutely welcome your thoughts, comments, suggestions and questions. So do please message me or add them on the Hypnosis Weekly website and I'll make sure that they are addressed, answered and explored accordingly. Please do share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter and anywhere else. Help us reach as much of the hypnosis field as possible. My thanks again to Igor Lederhovsky. My thanks to you for tuning in. My name is Adam Eason. This has been Hypnosis Weekly. Until next time, goodbye for now.